This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 17, and we are recording on Tuesday, February 23rd. I am Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from bookriot.com. How you doing? Good. I'm a little sad because it's so rainy here. Yes, it's disgusting here, too. Yeah. I guess that's February or something. Whatever. (laughs) February is the cruelest month. T.S. Eliot was just wrong. He was right. just wrong. Wait, which one did T.S. Eliot say? April, right? April. What's cruel about April? I don't know. that. The modernists give me a headache, so I, I don't actually <laughs> ever, like, read T.S. Eliot. Well, you heard it here first. <laughs> With the exception of Virginia Woolf, who can do no wrong, all the men are annoying, though. In fact, I'm going to talk about her today. Yeah! So, like, excellent, you know, pre-segue segue. segue. <laughs> my segue game is strong. It is, it is. You didn't even know. Are you sad about Harper Lee? Or is that not a thing you care about? I mean, of course I'm sad. And yeah. Umberto Echo. And, like, yes. this year... On the same day. <laughs> I know. This year has just been the worst. Like, we... I don't understand what's going on. I'm not usually, like, super affected by celebrity deaths, but Alan Rickman tore me up. I was so sad about Alan Rickman. And then Harper Lee, I just, you know... Yeah, David Bowie and Alan Rickman in the same week, I think that was. It was like... And then Harper Lee and Umberto Echo on the same day. Like, somebody wants us to be really sad. Man, I'm I'm sad that... I mean, obviously the man cannot control when he dies. But I'm sad that he died on the same day as Harper Lee because then he lost, like... No one was paying attention, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a weird thing, the communal experience of grief on the internet, right? Yes, and, like, yes. when it doubles up, it's even weirder. Yeah. Yes. All right, so now that we've talked about <laughs> rain and death, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, so for those of you who are listening for the first time, this is a reading recommendation show. So you can write into us with your questions about Um, You know, books for your book club, books you want to give as gifts, read-alikes if you're looking for something to fill the void that a certain beloved title left in your soul. We can help you with that. You can email your questions to getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them into the form uh, at the bottom of every post. Uh, And we will answer your questions. So let's just go. Let's go. Mm -hmm. All right. right. First question. This is from Allison. I'm not much into mystery as, as a genre. But I do like fiction with mystery elements to it, or at least ones that feel less genre-ish. Example, I really like all of Tana French's books that I've read so far. Fingersmith by Sarah Waters is one of my favorite books that I read this year and probably ever. And I just read Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier and really enjoyed that. Can you give me some other ideas for books that are mysteries without being mysteries? And that, again, is from Allison. So um, before we get started, I want to say what, what you're looking for. We did a post about, well, actually, Jen wrote a post about <laughs> yesterday. Um, so when you say book mysteries that feel less genre-ish, I feel like what you're asking for is not cozy mysteries, right? So not Miss Marple and, and not like old grisly private detective stories. Um, so things that don't fall under those kind of predictable tropes. And Jen wrote a post that went up yesterday called Murder Outside the Box, Inclusive Far-Ranging Mysteries that really, uh, and it's just a roundup of books that have diverse characters and take place internationally um, and that take those kind of genre-y tropes and 
talk about them in a new way or do them in a new way. And I will leave a link to that in the show notes um, and pretty much everything on that list you should read. So, yes. And now we will get into actual <laughs> recommendations. Go, Jen, go. Thank you. Yeah, being the book selector slash benevolent dictator for a mystery book group for two years will get you a long way outside of the box. So that's, um, I'm glad that my my discoveries have been useful. So yeah, <laughs> the first book I want to recommend to you is one that we actually argued about this very question at Mystery Book Group. Um, it's Burial Rites by Hannah Kent. Um, and it was a debut novel that came out a couple years ago. And it takes place in Iceland in the mid-1800s. And it's based on a true story about the last woman who was executed in Iceland. And um, she, her name is Agnes, and she is waiting to be... Um, sort of sentenced. She's been charged with the murder of her former master. And in Iceland, they send you to a farm to work for another family while you're awaiting sentencing. So she's on this farm. She's like doing manual labor for the family that lives there. The family obviously has weird feelings about being, you know, Saddled with a murderess, and in the meantime, you're <laughs> saddled with the murderess. Show title. There yep. it is. <laughs> Only took ten minutes, <laughs> not even five minutes. Um, yes. So, so, and and in the meantime, you're trying to, you're kind of slowly getting the story of what actually happened with Agnes. So it's really interesting. There is some question about what actually happened, which is why I consider it a mystery. But it's really much more about this woman and what her life was like and what it's like now to be um, with this family and how they feel about her and how that changes their lives. And it's a really lovely book. It's so atmospheric. It's really like the atmosphere and the environment of Iceland really come through. Um, and you can tell she really, you know, researched this and cares a lot about the story. So, yes, Burial Rites by Hannah Kent. Okay, my first pick for you is Crooked Letter, Crooked Letter by Tom Franklin, which is one of my favorite books. And it's one of those books that, like, I forget it exists until I see it on my shelves, and then I have this surge of, like, affection for oh, it. Oh, I love that feeling. Yes, like, oh, you! I love you! Why don't I reread you all the time? Um, so Tom Franklin has been, this book was compared to so, like, Cormac McCarthy, Harper Lee, Flannery O'Connor, obviously Crooked Letter, Crooked Letter, so it takes place in Mississippi. Um, if you don't know, what's the, what's the word? Like, the rhyme? Yeah, When they teach mnemonic. you how to spell it. Yeah, M I yeah. whatever. Anyway how they teach kids to spell Mississippi in school. So it starts in the 70s. Uh, it follows two boys, Larry and Silas, who grow up together. Larry is lower middle class, uh, white kid who has, you know, two parents. And Silas is the son of a poor, single black woman. <clears throat> so they grow up as friends, and they spend, you know, all of their time together. And then this tragedy strikes. Larry, the, the white kid, takes a girl on a date to a drive-in, and she never comes back. And he never confesses to doing anything to her. Her body is never found. She never returns. Um, but of course, everyone assumes that he did it, um, but nobody can really prove it. Um, so the this like tragic incident in this very small town in Mississippi means that Silas runs off. Their friendship is destroyed. Cyrus leaves Silas leaves town and uh, Larry stays for reasons that I don't understand. Um, and then the book moves forward in time 20 years. And so now Larry is a mechanic. He lives by himself. He has no friends. He was He's never ever really able to shake that suspicion that the town has that he killed this girl all that time ago. Silas has come back to town as a police officer, as a constable. Um, but they're like avoiding each other. There's no reason why they need to really cross paths. But then another girl 
with a similar physical description of the girl from 20 years ago disappears. And of course, everyone immediately assumes that it was Larry, uh, even though, again, no real proof. But he never shook the suspicion from the first one, so they just immediately jumped to this conclusion. Um, So then the two men are thrown back together, even though they haven't spoken for 20 years, and they've got to figure out... um, you know what happened? Where this new disappearing new this new girl who's gone missing is, who is responsible? If it's not Larry, then who? If it is Larry, then why hasn't he been arrested and all that stuff? And also, what happened twenty years ago? And actually, they know what happened twenty years ago. The two of them, um, but you don't, and you find out. So there's a lot of mysteries happening here at the same time. But it's also so like southern. Everything about this book is just drenched in like heat and moonshine and like snakes and humidity and racism and it's it's and like poverty it's so so southern and I love books like that that make this make a setting a character that's a really hard thing to pull off and Tom Franklin really does um so it's dealing with a lot of issues racism and poverty and sexism and all of these things wrapped up in like a kind of whodunit sort of whodunit twice um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Who done it both times? Uh, yeah. So that's Crooked Letter, Crooked Letter by Tom Franklin. All right. My second pick is The Secret History of Las Vegas by Chris Abani, who is amazing. Aww. If you have not read Chris Abani, read him immediately. Um, and this book is, I mean, it is a murder mystery, but again, it doesn't feel like one. Um, and it it has a lot of characters. So it mostly <laughs> takes place in Las Vegas, as you might expect. Um, there's a detective named Salazar who is trying to solve some murders, a bunch of murders. And um, he, like, in at a crime scene in or near a crime scene, encounters a pair of conjoined twins who he then arrests because they're near a crime scene. Um, and is he's like convinced that they're involved somehow. And they're part of a sort of sideshow circus act situation. And then in the meantime, they're not talking. So he enlists the help of a psychopath researcher um what a job yeah right well he's he's like an academic who's like specializes in psychopaths um and he's from south africa his name is dr sunil singh and he is trying to like get talk to these conjoined twins and find out what's going on and in the meantime he has been seeing this prostitute who's in love with whose name is asia and like nobody is who you think they are not a single person in this book is who you think or expect or even think you have guessed who they are Mm. um and there's a bunch of different things going on like there's vegas there's south africa there's like apartheid there's all of these different elements kind of all swirling around each other to the point where like at one point i actually forgot that they were trying to solve a murder i was just like what is happening anywhere ever um it's a really interesting really beautifully written book i loved it so much um so yes uh secret history of las vegas by chris abani all right my second pick for this i think i've talked about on the show before but it's roundhouse by louise erdrick and this is not a murder mystery it's a kind of rape mystery. It takes place in the 80s on a a reservation in North Dakota. A woman is attacked and raped, and she is attacked on um, reservation property, so there's all of these questions about whether or not, uh, like, whether the reservation authorities have jurisdiction or 
or not. Uh, it's told from the point of view of her 13-year-old son, Joe, um, who is trying to help his mother recover, but she won't leave her bed and she won't talk about what happened. So she's not naming the person who did this to her. Um, her father or his father, Joe's father, her husband, is a tribal judge and he's trying to get justice for his wife, but she, obviously she's not cooperating um, for her own personal reasons. And um, so Joe gets really frustrated and wants to help his family because it's falling apart before his eyes. So he kind of teams up with his friends to go figure out who raped his mother, which is obviously an unwise and dangerous thing for a 13-year-old boy to do, and especially when you factor in um, that this was a a racially motivated crime, potentially. So there's a lot of dangers um, for him. And so it's, yeah, that's it. It's trying to find out what happened to this woman and also trying to find out why she won't talk about it. why she won't, you know, just name the person who did this to her. There's a lot of, there's a lot of threats. There's a lot going on here. Uh, And it's such a page turner because you want to find out who did this to her and why she won't come forward. Um, And you're, and Joe is such a charming character. Uh, Oddly, 13 year old boy is very rarely charming in real life or in fiction. Um, But he's, he's a really charming character. And you're, you're like so here for him to help his family. And you're so here for him to find out what happened to his mother. Um, so that they can all have peace. Like, it's just a really heartbreaking work of literary fiction with this big, horrible mystery at the center. And it won a National Book Award, and I love it. So go read The Roundhouse. Everyone, go read The Roundhouse. Go read all of Louise Herdrick. For She's amazing. Yes, that is an accurate statement. True facts. Okay, next question. Uh, is from Logan. So Logan says, I recently got back into the world of reading after an extended break. Because of this, I'm not sure what's good out there. I'm a huge fan of fantasy and romance and have blazed through a couple books the past week. Arrow Weekends by Elise Kova, which he says is so good. Um, a Court of Thorns and Roses by S.J. Mass. And I'm currently on the second book of the Throne of Glass series. Uh, my favorite book is a tie between Arrow Weekends and This Is All I Ask by Lynn Curland. I'm not really sure where to go from there after I catch up and was hoping you could point me in the right direction. All right. I love oh. that he signs this from a bookish romance loving dude. I know. Bless you, sir. <laughs> you are the best. Please we, be my friend. <laughs> we appreciate you and your we tastes do. in books. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go first. Okay, okay go girl. <laughs> I'm going to recommend a book I've recommended a million billion times and I'm going <laughs> to keep recommending it forever. It is The Sorcerer and the Crown by Zen Cho. Ta-da! Um, it's really, really good. <laughs> it's uh, If you haven't heard me recommend it before because maybe you're a new listener or whatever, um, you forgot. It's about a man named Zacharias Wythe who was born a slave and was freed by a like peer of the realm slash magician um, in England because he recognized this guy recognized uh, Zacharias's magical talent and so he was brought up to take his place as like a you know magician in England um, and he's now like the leader of the um, the you know, committee of the unnatural philosophers or whatever the heck it's called. Um, and he's an actual magician, unlike most of the like old bespectacled white men on here who are just like sort of theoretical magicians. They can't actually do magic, but Zacharias can. Um, and 
magic in England is like drying up. They don't know what's happening to it. So while he's trying to fix that, he also comes across um, a female sorceress, which is not okay. Like women in this, you know, Regency Britain with magic are not supposed to do magic. Shocker. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But he discovers this woman who's got amazing power and who is amazing herself. And the whole thing kind of like hijinks ensue, fairyland slash you know, women's rights slash all kinds of awesome. Um, <laughs> so it's got a touch of a romance to it. It feels like Georgette Heyer meets Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell is kind of the way I've been pitching it to people. Um, and I think you would really dig it. And it's the first in a series, which is like the best thing ever. So Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho. Okay, so you seem to be pretty down with the with the YA here, Logan. So that's what I went with. My first pick is Graceling by Kristen Kishore, which is one of my favorite young adult novels ever. Yeah, so, <laughs> so good. Uh, so the main character's name is Katza. She's a teenager, obviously. She's a niece to the king in this world. And in this universe, there are people who are uh, born with what they call graces, which is just a special gift. That can be literally anything. You can be graced to be an excellent dancer. You can be graced to be really good at running long distances. It doesn't even have to be physical. You can be graced to, like, control people's minds. Katz's grace is that she's excellent at killing, like, really good at being violent. She's creative. She's strong. She has superhuman strength. She's fast. Um, and so because of that, the the, the king, her, her whatever, uncle, is using her as his thug, essentially. When he needs somebody to fall in line or follow orders or wants to threaten or scare someone, he sends Katza to kill their relatives or torture them or whatever. And she has very not-okay feelings about this, but she doesn't know how to get out of it. Um, she doesn't know how to say no, because if she, you know, if she refuses, what's going to happen to her, whatever. She's a a child, basically, so she's got questions. Um, And so this is a really chunky book, and it's a adventure where she's trying to figure out the true nature of her gift, like why she was born with this ability, what it means, and how to use it for good. Like, how do you use a gift? How do you use something like that, being good at killing people or hurting them? How do you use that for good, can you even? Like, is there ever an acceptable time to use a gift like that? So it's asking these huge, big ethical questions. There's also a steamy, steamy romance, um, which I love because she she has a romance with um, a prince named Poe who has his own grace, which is also hand-to-hand combat, I think. So there's a lot of fighting in this. That's how they flirt. They beat the crap out of each other. Um, and he's a prince, and so obviously he's expected to get married and produce heirs and all of that, but Katza refuses to get married. So that's one of the cruxes of their romance is um, he has to learn to be okay with the fact that she's never going to marry him, which is a rare thing in YA. I don't know that I've encountered it ever. I mean, like, there are young adult romances and young adult fantasy romances where the characters end happily ever after and you never know if they get married, but I've never really encountered one where the main character is just straight up like, I am not going to do that. So... Do with that information what you will, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and he, she thinks, is a, is a, like, mind reader, so, or, like, an emotion reader, so she has to struggle with that, too. And anyway, there's a lot going on, and there's a big bad guy. I'm not going to get into it because it's a big, complicated fantasy epic. But I love it. I love it. It's a first in a series, so you can read the whole series. It's a great universe, very feminist. Yeah, Graceling. 
I'm done. <laughs> stop talking. About I will it. listen to talk to you to you talk about Christian Kishore forever. Every book that came out in that series, I was like, no, this is my favorite. Right. And then I would go back and reread another one and be like, no, but this one is my favorite. It's so refreshing. They are like, it's all just... my favorite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fire is like, oh, it's oh, that's so good. It's kind of the <laughs> second one. And then Bitter Blue. Oh, anyway. OK. Feelings. Um, <laughs> all right. So my second pick uh, is The Magician's Guild by Trudy Canavan, which is the first book in the Black Magician trilogy. So trilogy, hooray, multiple books if you like the first one. I read all of these in like, I was like miserable in bed reading books on my phone, like whatever I could get um, from the library. And I read all of these like in a row and they were great. Um, So it's set in kind of like a, you know, faux medieval world with magic. Um, And there are magicians and every year they kind of like clear out the city as it were of, you know, vagrants and miscreants and the riffraff. Um, And then one day when they're like doing this yearly purge, a girl throws a stone and it actually hits them. Like it's not, it's not actually dangerous, but the fact that it gets through their magic shield is like a big deal. Um, and girls are not supposed to have magic. Um, and girls outside of like the ranks of magicians are definitely not supposed to have magic. So they're trying to find her. And then once they find her, what will they do with her? Um, and that's just like the start of this whole long epic series. And it's really entertaining and I enjoyed it a whole lot. So yeah, the magician's guild. Okay, my second pick for this is uh, new. I think it just came out last year, and you said you were just now getting back into the world of reading. So I wanted to pick something newer. It's called The Wrath and the Dawn by uh, Renee Adier. Never said her name out loud. A-H-D-I-E-H. It'll be in the show notes. Um, And this is also the first in the series. The second book, The Rose and the Something, comes out in May. Um, So you won't have to wait too terribly long for the sequel. It does end on a kind of a cliffhanger. Anyway, um, so this takes place in the made-up country of Coruscant, and it's based on the Thousand and One Nights. Um, Wait, A Thousand and One... Am I saying that right? A Thousand and One Nights is correct. Yes, Yes. okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The Scheherazade and the Arabian Nights, that thing. That whole big, long epic. So that's what it's based on. Um, So in this fake country, of course, and the um, caliph, the king, the caliph is named Khalid. He's 18 years old. And every morning or every night he marries a new girl and every morning has her killed. And so, of course, he's a monster. And since he started doing this, his kingdom is kind of starting to fall apart. People are getting understandably enraged by why he's doing uh, by his actions here. Um, And so 16 year old, the main character is a 16 year old girl named Sharzad whose best friend falls victim to the king. He's He marries her best friend and then kills her in the morning. And so she vows vengeance, Sharzad vows vengeance, and volunteers to be his next bride so that she can get close to him and figure out a way to kill him. Um, so she is obviously has to figure out how to not die the next day and then how to not die the day after that and the day after that, on and on, um, and, and his whatever killing spree he goes on. So she succeeds, obviously, because it's based on the Thousand One Night, A Thousand and One Nights. She, uh, like, starts spinning these stories, ensuring that he wants to hear the rest of it and other stuff uh, wrapped up and how she keeps his attention night after night. She survives. Um, but she also starts to get to know him and to find out that he is not what she thought and that the reasons that he has for doing what he's doing are complicated but more than that they're also like destroying him like he's he like the guilt that he carries about having to do this but why does he have to do it that's the big mystery at the center 
Um, and it is a fantasy. There's some supernatural, magic-y type elements. And, of course, there's a romance. Sharzad starts to fall in love with Khalid, um, which she feels inexplicable guilt for because she was there to avenge her best friend's death. And also she has kind of a boyfriend at home. Complicated. Um, so, <laughs> hashtag complicated. Hashtag complicated. <laughs> um, so she's got to solve that mystery, figure out what to do with her feelings for Khalid, and save the day. NBD. And that's, yes. And it's awesome. And I really loved it. Excellent, excellent writing. Lovely sentences, which is my catnip. So that's The Wrath and the Dawn. All right. Are we moving on? Yeah. Time for our first sponsor. Oh, yeah. That's me. So our first sponsor is our steamy reading box, which is the most Book Riot thing that we have ever made in the history of Book Riot. Um, (laughs) This is a one-time box of four of our favorite sexy reads, which includes fiction and nonfiction, because yes. And also some rad bookish, like, goodies, swag. Um, that have not been included in previous quarterly boxes or um, any shipments of any kind that we've put together. Uh, So if you are already a quarterly subscriber, you're not getting repeats. And let's see, what else do I want to say about this? It's so great. The books are excellent. They're diverse across genres. They're diverse in every sense of diversity when it comes to reading romance and or erotica. Um, And my favorite, Jen told this story last week when we talked about this, but my favorite story is that the in the warehouse that we have that packages these boxes for us, the people who were the employees who were putting the boxes together were so like intrigued by it that they started asking if they could take extras of the books home because it was they're just that awesome. And I just feel like that's such a compliment. We've never had that happen before uh, with any of our quarterly boxes. And all of our boxes have great books in them, but there was something about this one, you know. Eh, eh. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's our, our steamy reading box. It is a one-time thing, and it's only it's available until we sell out, which is they're going at a fairly rapid clip. Um, so I do recommend ordering it sooner rather than later because we are probably going to sell out soon. So, yeah, I will leave a link for you in the show notes uh, or you can just go to store.bookriot.com and there's a big image at the top of the page that you can go to to, uh, to buy it. You'll know it when you see it. (laughs) Oh yes you will. It's excellent. Our graphic designer really, I hate saying this, but he really nailed (laughs) the image for for the steamy reading box. It's an impossible pun to avoid. I know it is. What else am I supposed to say? He really did he did a great job. He hit it out of the park. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> also a pun yes also yep. a pun mm-hmm. okay all right okay. all right <laughs> moving on question three okay this is from mary <clears throat> i absolutely love history and after seeing the musical hamilton yes girl my love of the revolutionary war has been revitalized i've already read the biography hamilton the musical is based on and a few other non-fiction books about the revolution but i'd love to read fiction about the revolution uh thanks in advance and again, that's from Mary. Yes, I am here for all of your Hamilton <laughs> book requests. Um, this is this is mostly you, so I'm going to ask to go first. Okay, go ahead. Because you got a bunch of stuff, and I only have one. Okay. Um, so, okay, so my pick for this is Revolutionary by Alex Myers, um, which I haven't read, but which is on my TBR list um, for what will soon become obvious reasons. Um <laughs> It's based on the true story of a woman named Deborah Sampson who disguised herself as a man and um, joined the Continental Army. And it's about, like, why she would do that um, on multiple levels, not just, like, fighting for American independence, but, like, personally. What was it about her life and who she felt like she was that um, sent her forward to enlist and to, like, live a life of disguise and danger and violence? Um, And so it goes through all of this, like, you know, the actual 
actual battles and what she was doing during these times and how it was that she kept her secret or, you know, tried to keep her secret. Um, and the author is actually a descendant of this woman, which I think mm. is super cool. That's rad. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. So, um, so yeah, so it's a, it's, it, but it's, it's like a, you know, novel about the American Revolution with like a distinctly feminist bent, which I like. Um, and I think it's really interesting that it's by a person who's descended from this actual person, but it's a novel anyway. Anyway, lots of interesting threads there. So yes, Revolutionary by Alex Myers. Okay, so I have uh, three. I have one pick for myself, and then I toss this up onto the Book Riot Slack and ask the contributors what they thought, because our contributors love Hamilton more than is, I think, humanly possible for most, <laughs> for most people. As they should. I also love Hamilton. It's amazing. Um, so the first one that I want to talk about is For Love and Liberty, Untold Love Stories of the American Revolution, which is an anthology of romance short stories um, with, obviously, since it's an anthology, it's got more than one author. I think there are four. Um, and I have read this collection, and it is so good. So Untold Love Stories of the American Revolution um, focuses on just what it sounds like, untold love story. So there's like there's a love story between a Native American woman and a British soldier who's wounded. There's a love story between um, a white man living in Boston and his partner who is a black man but who has to pretend to be his servant for obvious reasons. So they have to decide what they want to do uh, when war breaks out. And what else? There's, um, I don't remember, there's a, a story about a young Jewish couple and what, how they have to, like, stay together in the midst of all this war. Um, and another one I don't remember. Another one about a runaway slave, yeah. And so it's um, both historical and super steamy. Like, the romance part of it is really great. If you're not a romance reader, I would still just read it anyway. And it'll make you a romance reader because it's... <laughs> they're just, like, they're so excellent. And, um, and I love that they take parts of the American Revolution. I mean, like, as much as I love Hamilton, Hamilton is not an untold story, right? Um... Well, I guess it kind of is. The musical kind of is in the way that they do it. But anyway, um, the diversity in For Love and Liberty is great because it's historical. Like these people, you know, people of color and LGBTQ people don't just appear in 2016. Like they didn't just happen when the civil rights movements started. They've always been here, <laughs> always been here with their history happening. And it's just a history just because like we don't talk about it and we aren't taught it in school or in pop culture or in, our, or, or in our media doesn't mean that they weren't always there having um, important things happen. So the fact that that uh, somebody wrote an anthology of romance about their stories is just so amazing to me. And anyway, I love it. So that's uh, For Love and Liberty. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then two that I got, two recommendations I have for you from our contributors. The first one is Chains by Lori Hulse Anderson. And this was recommended by Just Pride. And it's about a 13-year-old girl named Isabel um, who is, it starts uh, as the Revolutionary War begins. She is promised freedom upon the death of her owner. Uh, well, this person who owns her and her sister, Ruth. And in some twist of plot, she, you know, cruel twist of fate, she ends up being owned after, he, after her owner dies. She ends up being owned by a, a couple in New York City named the Locktons um, who don't have any sympathy for the revolution. Uh, they're not here for the fight or for independence, and they obviously have no sympathy for Ruth and Isabel, these girls that they now own. Um, 
So then she meet Isabella, the main character, meets uh, a slave named Curzon who has ties to the Patriots who are fighting for independence. He encourages her to spy for them and, you know, uh, because they have details of the British invasion that's coming. And so she has to decide if that's a thing she wants to do, if she wants to help the Patriots fight at risk and put herself and her sister at risk um, or not. Uh, so, you know, again, hashtag complicated. So that's changed by Lori Hals Anderson. Um, and the next, the, the last one that I have for you was recommended by Wallace, who's a contributing editor. It's called Back Bay. It's by William Martin. And this is kind of a family sl- saga slash mystery. So it starts during the revolutionary period and it focuses on a gold and silver tea set that Paul Revere made and gave to George Washington. And um, it ends up being the property of this family, the Pratt's, and then you follow, and then it goes disappear. It disappears. It gets stolen um, in 1814 out of the White House by a, the a patriarch of the Pratt family, Horace Pratt, in revenge for like a government policy he doesn't agree with. And then it ends up being buried in the mud of Back Bay, hence the title. And that part of the bay then is turned into a landfill. So the family is hunting for this gold and silver tea set made by Paul Revere and given to George Washington, hunting for it for obvious reasons. And you follow their um, saga over the course of 250 years, starting from when the th- the tea set is made up until present day. So there's like there's suicide, there's murder, there's clues in a diary, past tense, present tense, very complicated. Why do I keep saying complicated? <laughs> it's a complicated kind of day. It's, it's a cool. complicated, it's sure. Cool. All right. We'll go um, with it. Yeah, yeah. And this one is, I think, the first in a series. So if you like William Martin, then go forth and read more. All right. Nice. Question four. Yes, next question. Uh, This is from Maymuna. She says, I recently read Brene Brown's Gifts of Imperfection and Daring Greatly. I already have Brene's Rising Strong on my list. Can you please suggest books that fall into that self-help slash inspiring slash insightful category? Also, I would appreciate if you can recommend nonfiction books that discuss creativity and writing. Oh, boy, do we have recommendations for you. (laughs) Um, I actually am reading Rising Strong right now. I'm doing a chapter a week with a book club, and it's great. Highly recommended. Um, So, okay, I'm going to throw my first pick in here, which is, you're not surprised if you have ever talked to me about anything, uh, (laughs) Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strait. It's my Bible of feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, came out of the column that Cheryl Strayed wrote uh, anonymously as Dear Sugar um, on the Rumpus, um, and it collects a bunch of the letters she received, her responses, her responses to those letters, as well as some that never made it onto the internet. Um, and so the letters that she got are about just anything and everything, like you know, famously one, the whole letter is just what the F. Um, and some are about, you know, infidelity or addiction or family members or romance or death or whatever. I mean, it's a ton of stuff. There's career stuff. There's just everything in there. Um, and she is an amazing essayist, an amazing person. She's so good at talking about feelings and breaking down, like, the anatomy of a feeling and then what you can do with those feelings and how to move forward or how to be where you are. Um, it's really, really great. Uh, there's a bunch of different topics obviously I recommend reading them all although it's super fun to like kind of just skip around in it but the ones that you think have nothing to do with you uh, and sometimes end up being the ones that are most applicable Um, so that is my first pick Tiny Beautiful Things 
Okay, my first pick is newer, uh, a newer book. It's called Big Magic. It's by Elizabeth Gilbert. And the subtitle is Creative Living Beyond Fear. So I feel like this hits both of your uh, requests. Elizabeth Gilbert, of course, most famously wrote uh, Eat, Pray, Love. And uh, I don't remember the name of her. Oh, Signature of All Things, which is a novel that that I am obsessed with. Uh, I did not love Eat, Pray, Love. I thought it was kind of... So whether (laughs) or not you have feelings about... um, Eat, pray, love. If they're negative, don't let them influence whether or not you decide to read Big Magic because I really did enjoy it. So um, this is a book about the creative process and her ideas about creativity as an embodied conscious thing, which I'm not really here for. Like, I don't agree with her ideas that creativity is a conscious thing and that ideas have their own kind of like souls and they select people that they want to carry, that they want, you know, to bring forth or that ideas select the people that they want to bring them forth into the world sort of a thing. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't buy that. Um, but she's so charming when she talks about it that it's kind of, you're kind of here for like listening to her explain the concept anyway. And beyond that, she gets into more practical stuff about how to, um, how that idea that, that, that creativity isn't your problem. It isn't your responsibility. It's not a thing that you have to sit and force yourself to be. It's not a thing that you have to hammer out of your own mind, um, how that relieves the pressure and the fear um, from being a creative person or living a more creative life. That I do have like a lot of affection for that idea. The, the, um, the concept that if you just sit down and do the work, creativity will come to you. And so if it, if it does, yay. If it doesn't, well, you did the work anyway, so what else are you expected to do? You've done the thing, and it, that's that's all that you can be expected to do, so there's no reason to be afraid of failure, and there's no reason to um, feel badly about yourself if every day you aren't your best, most creative self. That kind of, um, that just takes so much negativity out of creating, especially if you're a writer, and, and you know, of course, the, the whole concept of being a writer means you have to just sit down and actually write the thing, and not wait for, like, the muse to strike, um, which is her point. You just sit down and you do the work, and you be the mule uh, carrying the load, and eventually it'll come, and if it never comes, you've done what you can, and there's nothing anyone else can expect from you. So, um, you can get past the kind of woo-woo-ness of the book, or not. Maybe you're here for the woo-woo. I don't know. Be here for the woo-woo. Um, <laughs> Also a good show title. Also a good show title. <laughs> um, but yeah, the practical advice she has is really great. So that's Big Magic, Elizabeth Gilbert. Ignore you, pray love. <laughs> um, my next pick is one I just finished, Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. Oh my God, this <laughs> book is so good. And if you are an audio person, I've heard the audiobook is amazing because she narrates it, which you can imagine would be amazing. I read it. I... Like, this was my morning treat. Like, every morning with breakfast, I would read a chapter because the chapters are short. And it would be like, I'd be like, I'm ready. I'm ready to go do things. (laughs) Um, The premise of the book is that at one point, her sister made an offhand comment to her over during Thanksgiving um, about how she never says yes to anything. And it kind of, like, struck her as a a deeper truth than it immediately appeared to be. which is that she was sort of protecting herself and and to the point where she had backed herself into a corner in her life and she wasn't actually happy. She has, I mean, she's Shonda Rhimes. Like, literally, her life is amazing, but she wasn't Mm. happy. And she was trying to figure out why not. So she made a commitment that for a whole year she would say yes to anything that was challenging or scary. And then the book is about, like, what happened during that year. Um, And each chapter takes a specific incidence of a time when she said yes, even though it was terrifying. And, like, how 
how her life changed by saying that yes. Um, and I thought it was so great. I was a little skeptical at first because like, as a person who says yes too often, I'm just like, mm. oh my God, I don't need to be told to say yes to things. Mm. Um, but there's a great chapter called y- Yes to Saying No that's all about like understanding the things that we should say no to and giving ourselves permission to say no to those things. So like she's got a really balanced approach and she's hilarious. Of course. She's so funny. Oh my God. It's, it's just so good. Like I cannot stop talking about how much I enjoyed and like love this book. And I'm so glad I bought it rather than buying it from the library because I'm going to be returning into it. So I highly, highly, highly recommend your Shonda, if you're listening, please kill Fitz. (laughs) I can't, I can't stand him. Oh man. I know. I'm like, I'm not like a super Shondaland person. Like how to get away with murder is not for me. I watch a couple episodes and it's just not for me. And like, I stopped watching Grey's Anatomy at a certain plot point when I was like, okay, I'm done. But, um, But I do really love how smart her characters are. I've watched a bunch of Scandal, too. So, like, I guess what I'm saying is you can be a huge fan and obviously you'll love it. Or you can never have watched anything she's done. And I don't think it matters. Like, it doesn't matter. It's really not. I've only watched Scandal. Grey's Anatomy, the trailer, like the previews for great, the commercials for Grey's Anatomy are so melodramatic that I want to kill myself. I mean, it's super dramatic, but I, like I was re so I'm moving and I was rewatching some episodes. Cause of course I was thinking about it cause I had been reading this book, um, while I was packing and I was like, Oh, these were so good. Like Christina Yang, like all hail yes, Christina yes. Yang for the record, like for <laughs> real, um, church of Christina Yang. I am a member, but so yeah, so there's good stuff in there, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Read it good anyway. Too. Everybody read it. <laughs> Death to fits. Anyway, <laughs> all right. So my, I'm gonna just combine. We're gonna my have to two. do like an after dark about scandal. At some <laughs> oh my point. gosh! So uh, this is a total whatever sidebar. But if this show does not end with Olivia killing fits, I will be enraged. I need it to end that way. I need it because he is such a passive aggressive whiny little god. Okay. That anyway. show we discovered Amanda's feelings about <laughs> Fitz. <laughs> he is the worst. He is a thing that I cannot say on this podcast. Um, so my next two picks for you, I'm going to combine because they're pretty much the same. They're both uh, manuals for writing. And the first one is Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. And the other one is On Writing by Stephen King. And these are similar in that they are very instructive. Like there are chapter titles in Bird by Bird that are literally like shitty first drafts, dialogue. How do you know when you're done? But Anne Lamott is so funny and she intersperses so much of her like biography and her dry wit and her hilarious humor into the chapters that they don't read as dry as the uh, the chapter titles make it sound. But if you're looking for someone to literally tell you like remove the adverbs, that kind of stuff, then Bird by Bird uh, is a great pick. And on writing is the same. It's more memory though, like Stephen King obviously has written a lot um every year it seems like the man comes out with a new 1400 page how does that happen like how are you whatever um i don't understand he's just magical but this uh, on writing is half memoir half writing advice and the thing that i like about this is he includes a, a chapter that he wrote for i think the shining no it wasn't the shining it was um whatever story that was it was turned into a john cusack maybe i don't remember the name of it room, something, whatever. Uh, it's one of his short stories. He includes the first draft that he wrote of that, and then he includes the edited version with his handwritten notes of, like, what he took out, what he added, um, 
all of that stuff. So it's very helpful if you need, if you're more of like a visual person and whereas bird by bird is like funny, pseudo spiritual advice that's helpful. This is literally like, here are the things I removed and here's why. I added something to this sentence because of X. Um, so it's a little bit more instructive, but at the same time has the memory stuff of um, from Stephen King's life, which is fascinating in its own right. So those are two of my favorite books about writing, bird by bird and on writing. All right. You have one okay, more. I have one more. Um, it's a book that I found thanks to my friend Zach. It's by Samuel R. Delaney, who you might know as a science fiction writer, an amazing science fiction writer. He actually has a whole book about writing called About Writing. Hey. Um, it's seven essays, four letters, and five interviews. So it's a compilation. Um, it's so good. It's really fascinating. I think especially because of the structure, like he didn't write it as a book. It became a book after he had written all of these different things. And the letters in particular were so interesting, like people who were like aspiring writers or his students or you know people he knew would write to him these questions about writing and his answers are so thoughtful and interesting um and I mean it is about specifics like how do you do characters right and how do you establish a reputation and how do you structure a novel and you know but he's such a smart interesting incisive thinker um I cannot recommend it enough and it almost is like a workshop like a class you could do um so i yeah cannot recommend it enough um super 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 good all right second sponsor it's time. book riot live oh, here's yeah. where the jazz hands come in oops, we oops, haven't oops, had oops, much oops. jazz hands <laughs> this show is like the unjazz handiest but, Un-jazz handy. um that's not a word nope. uh it's okay we're gonna talk about book riot live so um yes book riot live if you hadn't heard, is a two-day reader convention uh, thrown by yours truly, um, us here at Book Riot, um, to celebrate books and the reading life and our community. And I have come up with the top three reasons that you should come to Book Riot Live. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, here we go. Number one is that you get to meet the Book Riot community. And I don't just mean the staff, although obviously we are there. But like you get to meet the people who you tweet with and who you comment with and talk to on the Facebook page. Like it was last year was such a cool thing to see all of the people who knew each other from the site then getting to meet in person and Mm. like be friends IRL. It was awesome. The sense of community at Book Riot Live is just unreal. Like it's a really, really amazing atmosphere and vibe. And it was so much fun. And so that is... Sizes. What's that? My heart grew three sizes. Right, it all kind of, of did. Yeah. So yes, if your cold dead heart needs, you know, <laughs> needs growing, you can have that at Book Riot Live. Okay, number two is you get to meet and hear from some of your favorite authors and book people. Um, we try super hard to get some of our favorites, which we know are your favorites because you tell mm-hmm. us so. Um, so for example, last year we had Margaret Atwood, which was amazing, and N.K. Jemison, which was amazing, and people like Mark. Shiro from Mark Does Stuff. And that was all last year. There will be new people and some returns this year, but that's all secret. You don't get to know that yet. But I'm just saying that that's going to happen. <clears throat> and number three is that you get to find new friends and new books to love. So we're going to introduce you to people and authors and books that you haven't heard of, that you may never thought that you would like, but then they can become your new favorites. I feel like we got so many tweets and comments from people that were like, oh my God, X, who I saw on this panel for president, I love her so much, I'm going to go home and read everything she's ever written. (laughs) Like that happened multiple times about a lot of different authors and speakers. And it was so cool 
to see those new connections getting made. So if you would like to know more, you can go to bookriotlive.com and sign up for the newsletter, which will give you all of the good updates. Um, tickets go on sale on March 28th, and the dates of the convention will be November 12th and 13th. So you should mark your calendars right now. Do it. And that's my story about Book Riot Live. Yeah, Book Riot Live. I'm so excited. It's going to be so much fun. Okay, question five. This is from Anne. A group of neighbors and I are planning on starting a new book group. I know from past experiences of some failed book groups that it's important to get off on the right foot. So I would like a recommendation of the per- the perfect first book to start. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure. A little, a little about our group. Most are moderate readers, open to all genres. Everyone is quite busy, so the books need to be under 500 pages. Also, the book needs to have topics that generate a good, healthy discussion. But most members don't like dark or depressing books, so no a little life for this group. Well, that's like 800 pages anyway, so. True fact. Uh, Okay, so it's out. Uh, so that again, that's from Anne. Um, so the perfect book club book. <laughs> what say you? I'm gonna I go mean, first. I'll you, go first. You go first. You go first. Okay, uh, my first pick is Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, and I pick this because I am also in a book club. We've been meeting for probably about a year, and this book we talked about for like two hours. And usually, my book club is an excuse to eat brunch with my girlfriends, and we all, you know, we read the book, we talk about it for twenty minutes, but then we like gossip for you know an hour and drink wine because we're a cliche. Uh, but this book, we we argued about like not maliciously but like got like deep down into some dirty gritty discussions and um also it's one of my favorite books ever so um let me think what am i saying synopsis so it's about a girl not a girl a woman named Ephemalu who is lives in nigeria she falls in love with um another teenager a boy named obinze when they're kids and then she leaves to america to uh, leaves for america to study and a series of unfortunate events happen to her, and she stops talking to uh, Abinze, stops answering his letters and phone calls. And so they grow apart, and she just goes on to live her life as a, as a woman from Nigeria living in America. And then later, um, their paths cross again when she returns. She's a successful writer. She writes a blog about race in America. She returns to Nigeria. They reunite and... Um, you know, stuff happened. He's married when she returns, so there's that to deal with. There's just, there's a lot going on. Um, but the book is both about race in America, but also about, so it's about being black, but it's also about, about being black, but not being African, I mean, not being um, from the U.S. So you have a different experience when you are coming from another country to the U.S. and you're black than you do, than if you're, if you're born here. And so it's a lot about that. My favorite part of this book are her blog posts. So she, the, the character is writing a blog about being from another country and black in America and living here for several years. And her blog posts are hilarious. So she writes about like hair, you know, and stuff that you, that a white person would have just never thought of. And my book club is mostly white. I'm thinking there's one woman who's Latina and then me, I'm Filipino. And then um, everyone else is white. And it was so interesting to watch and, and to hear women respond to this book in like a I never thought about how if you're black you have to sit for eight hours to get your hair done like stuff like that that just would never occur um to white people and so that's what generated all of this discussion and of course there's they're going to talk about police brutality and white privilege and all of this um lots of really lots of food for thought if you don't like controversial topics maybe (laughs) this is not a good pick for you um but if your book group can handle it if you can hang with like really thoughtfully discussing race uh, and immigration and love and infidelity and an unlikable narrator because the Femalu is annoying, um, then you, yeah, I really think this is like a perfect book club pick. Yeah. 
Americana. Sorry, I'm supposed to repeat the titles. Yeah, I know. I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) We hear you. We're trying. We we do. We we saw your comments and your tweets. We're trying. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, this is an impossible question for the (laughs) record. Like, every book group is so different. Um, There is no one ultimate like book group title, in my opinion. That being said... I Amanda has it like nailed down for literary fiction like all of her picks are super good so I was like okay I'll go to other genres just in case you want like a little bit of a range because I don't know who you are I mean I mean you told us some things but anyway it doesn't matter okay sorry (laughs) (laughs) I really like this question but it's also like it's a lot of pressure um so my first pick for you is in mystery because as I have said I am in a mystery book club among others um and my first pick is one I think I talked about on the last show or a recent show it's the cutting season by Attica Locke. Oh, no, it's in that post that I did. That's what it is. Um, Anyway, The Cutting Season by Attica Locke is a great book club book. Um, It takes place on a plantation in Louisiana, and the woman who runs the plantation, Karen, um, grew up there. Uh, her mother was the cook. Um, there, like, there is a family history with the plantation, um, and she is now sort of the manager for like it's a historic plantation house. So there's like tours and weddings and whatever. So she's in charge of the grounds um, and making sure the staff like do what they're supposed to do and keeping everything set. She's a single mom. This is now where she thought she'd end up, but it's working out for her um, until the day that they find a dead body on the grounds. Um, next to the plantation is a big sugarcane field that has migrant workers, and one of the women, one of the migrant workers, has been killed. Um, and so she... A, is shocked and horrified. Um, B, then there's like obviously this whole murder mystery. Like they're trying to figure out what is going on and who killed the girl. And now there's police on the grounds and everything is disrupted. And there's things going on with her staff that she doesn't understand. There's things going on with her daughter that she doesn't understand. And also she's trying to make sense of her life. Um, It's a really amazing book. It did not go where I thought it was going to go. So there's a lot of interesting twists and red herrings that you can talk about. Um, It also is obviously a lot about race in America because, you you know, Karen is African-American, the migrant worker was Mexican, um, oh, or Hispanic, excuse me, um, and, uh, you know, the owners are white and there's a lot of history involved in this book, um, and the characters are really interesting. Karen is not a Mary Sue. Nothing goes her way ever. (laughs) So (laughs) you're just kind of like, oh man. And like some of her decisions are like, oh my God, why are you doing that? Um, it's really interesting. It's really great. I I thought it was a really good book and we did have a good discussion of it. So I can vouch that it, it will create a good discussion and it's super interesting. Okay, so my second pick for this is... I'm actually going to take that one off because uh, we're running out of time. So my second pick is Shine, Shine, Shine by Lydia Netzer, which is probably the book when I was a bookseller that I hand-sold more than maybe any other that I can think of, except maybe A Good American by Alex George. But this one, I lo- everyone in the store loved this book like with a thousand loves. So it's about a, a woman named Sunny who is married to... A man named Maxon, and they have a son who's autistic. And Maxon, Maxon himself is a genius who is also on the spe- the um, on the autism spectrum. And they have a very kind of normal life. She is, you know, a stay-at-home mom. He is an astronaut and a genius engineer. And then um, one morning, she has a fender bender on just any other day, um, and the accident jolts her and makes her wig fly off and you find out that she's bald and not only is she bald but she's actually nothing like this very normal um kind of virginia housewife that she's been trying 
to pretend that she is. And so you fall, you, the, the book goes back and forth in time. You go back to the two of them meeting Sunny and Maxon and how she was obviously bald because she has a, um, I don't remember what it's called, but she has some sort of genetic uh, illness that means she doesn't have any hair. Alopecia, I think. Um, so she is bald and she's angry and she's this really feisty kid. And of course, Maxon is on the spectrum. So he's a genius, but he doesn't process emotions uh, or social cues. And they become friends. She teaches him kind of how to um, function in society a little bit. And he recognizes that she's actually like this wonderful person um, just where everyone else sees her as just kind of a freakish and weird and angry little girl. So they fall in love, they grow up, they get married, they have a child. And the with the with the birth of the child comes this craving for for being normal, like creating a normal suburban life for her child, which is a thing that I relate to because I did the same thing. Like I really wanted normalcy for my kid because I feel like I'm not particularly normal myself. And so she her secret is out that she isn't, um, you know, this beautiful, blonde, normal person raising her kid. And then at the same time, there's an accident um, where Maxon is up in space. And so he might die he might not um and so there's like decades old murders there's all of these secrets the writing is really beautiful um and they have to kind of find their way back to each other as their marriage is falling apart under the pressure of like just being normal um and then his life is threatened and her secret comes out and so yeah all of this stuff kind of comes together and the thing that i think your book club will pull out of this is um how to word like what is normal (laughs) Right? Like, that's the big question about this book is what is what is normal? What does that even mean? Does, does being blonde and driving a minivan and having 2.5 children make you normal? And, like, do you need all of those things to be happy? Um, do you need to be a stay-at-home mother who shops at J. Crew to be happy? Like, these are the questions that Lydia Netzer is asking. That's the author. And she is married and has two kids and she homeschools them and she's, you know, she's a fascinating author and a, like, fascinating person um, in her own right. But the book is really addressing all these questions about uh, being a, quote-unquote, like, normal woman in modern American life and being a parent and all of this stuff. So there's a lot of meat and a lot to talk about. And, yeah, so that's Shine, 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 Lydia Netzer. Love that book so much. All right, my second pick for you is a classic of science fiction fantasy slash speculative fiction slash whatever you want to call it when unrealistic things mm-hmm. happen. Um, and it's one of my all-time favorite books. It's Orlando by Virginia Woolf. Um, so good. Uh, okay, so Orlando is born a young man during the time of Queen Elizabeth. And then, like is maybe immortal. (laughs) Orlando (laughs) just kind of lives forever. Um, And at a certain point, he becomes a she. He wakes up, uh, he's an ambassador to Constantinople, excuse me, and wakes up one morning to find that now he is a woman. And then she has to deal with sort of the 18th and 19th centuries as a woman, um, having been born a, you know, man in the... 17th century. Um, and so, and the novel ends in 1920s, which is, you know, sort of the time of suffrage. Um, and it is all about gender as a construct. Um, it's about history, three centuries worth of history. It's a love story in many ways. Um, it's beautifully written and it's really funny. Virginia Woolf is hilarious when she Mm -hmm. wants to be. Um, and I just thought this book has so much food for thought. Like there's so many things you can talk about. Um, and including like the premise itself, like you have this person who like doesn't appear to age. Um, it's really kind of odd the way 
way that Orlando moves through history. Um, and it's really fun read. It's really engaging. It's not that long. Uh, it's like 200, 300 pages. Um, and I think it would give you a lot of meat for discussion as well as just like being a book that everybody really should read. Like, I don't think that like I hesitate to be like, everybody should read this book, but no, actually everybody should read Orlando. <laughs> Literally uh, you right here. You I'm saying it. it. I'm, I'm putting it down. <laughs> All right. I think we should save the next question. We are out of time. Yeah, yeah. Let's save it for the next episode. Okay, so that is our show. Thank you for listening. Um, Let's see. If you could rate us on iTunes, if you like the show, drop a, uh, give us a rating, drop a review. It helps uh, the show be more searchable when other people are looking for it. You can find us on social media. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson on Twitter, and Jen is at Jen IRL with two N's, J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And thank you to us for sponsoring us, the Steamy (laughs) Reading Box, and also Book Riot Live. There will be links both of those things in the show notes below and we will see y'all next week see you next week 